Uh, as we come to the end of 1 Peter, uh, chapter 5, uh, we come to the, uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 6 and 11. And so today we talk about keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on God. In the midst of suffering, you must keep your eyes on God. Why is that? Uh, because here's what I have found and known from personal experience. When we go through difficult times, if we don't watch it, we will not focus on God. We will focus on me. We will focus on what I am going through. Uh, and we miss this whole part um, that it tells us in Psalms 121, 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where does my help come? There are many times right now that we are desperate seeking for God and His help. But if we do not watch it, we end up wallowing. Or we end up blaming. Or we end up doing anything else other than looking to God who is the one that... If He made heaven and earth, I think He's got it figured out. I think He has the power to do what He is going to do and also to remind us His ways are higher than our ways. God does things different. I don't know if you know this, but He does things a lot different than you and I would. Right? He does things a whole lot different than you and I would. When we should be keeping our eyes on God, we have a tendency to, and we're going to look at these three things today. We have a tendency to look at ourselves rather than God, be distracted, and let Satan work, or, and, forget God's grace in suffering. Forget God's grace in suffering. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, and it tells us here, Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now let's go back and remember what's going on with 1 Peter. Why is Peter writing this letter to the churches? He is writing this letter because the churches are being persecuted for their faith in Christ. They are being persecuted all around and there is such pain and suffering on them that Peter is trying to encourage them but also to remind them that if you don't watch it you will get your eyes off of Christ onto the situation and you will no longer look like the one who has saved you. If we go through this he reminds us that our foundation is found in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is where our hope is found. He goes through there and reminds us that there will be suffering. There will be persecution. There will be difficulty. He reminds us in this moment that we are supposed to earnestly chase after loving each other. He reminds us in this moment that when we deal with government, and we're talking about, I'm, telling you, I'm not telling you about anything, so don't try to apply anything. I'm telling you about what Peter was going through. Right? So please don't go to application. I'm trying to give you background. Peter was telling them, dealing with a horrible emperor, and telling them at this point, who was Nero, of people being burned alive for the entertainment of parties going on, and being persecuted left and right because they would not deny Jesus, and he was telling them, give respect to your emperor. Pray for your emperor. Pray. Live a conduct that's worthy, that points anybody when they say something to that of Christ. He tells them in family relations of how husbands and wives are supposed to relate. 
of how master and slave is supposed to relate. And all these things that was done was to make sure that Jesus Christ was known and that He was in complete control. As He begins to bring this to an end, He reminds them over and over, God has already won. Conduct yourselves as people that are transient, going through here, going to a better destination, a final stop, that of home, and remember that we are called that Christ would be glorified and lifted up. As we go through this, again, I want to remind us, here's the temptation. To look at ourselves rather than God. That is the temptation. Well, how do we keep our eyes on the Lord when we're dealing with this and it's wrapping up? Starting with verse 6, it says this. Humble yourselves. Let's start there. Humble yourselves. The idea of humble here is to submit, to submit oneself in a lowly spirit to the power and the will of God. To submit oneself to the power and the will of God. don't know what's going on in this world right now. I don't get it. I don't get it. I have thoughts. I have opinions. But in reality, I don't fully know. And more importantly, I don't know what God is doing in the midst of all this. See, when we humble ourselves, we begin to admit, I do not control all, and I don't know what God is doing, and I am coming to say, not my will, but yours. Is there any story in the Bible that would make us think that God may have a different plan than what we think is going on? Let's think about Job. Job exists before the law. And some talk about that Job exists in a time that's really, really early. Uh, in our Bible that we have, Job falls in the middle of everything, but reality is, historically, he probably goes more into the Genesis time of everything. And so Job has no idea, has no idea that Satan has come before God and has accused God and says this, the only reason why this person loves you is because you've given him everything. You take it away and he'll curse you. Yahweh, nobody loves you unless you give them stuff, and if you take it away, they'll curse your name. And the father said, you can take all of his stuff. You can take his family. But you can't take his health. All that happened, and yet Job still would not curse God. Satan comes back and says, well, he's comfortable. Take his health. You take his health, he'll curse you. You can take his health, but you can't take his life. And thus, Job had nothing other than a wife that tended to not be an encouragement to him. I'm not pointing out something negative on women or wives, okay? I'm telling you the story. Some husbands have been the same way. It's okay, application. I'm talking about the story. He's left with a wife. Pretty much says, curse God and die. And he's left with three friends 
And each friend comes to him and gives him a negative aspect of representing God. All three of those friends talk about God, but they give and represent God in the wrong way. And thus, Joe, who stands against the three friends' opinions, but he's still dealing with his own stuff. And finally, we get to the end of Job. And at the end of Job, God is highly ticked at the three friends because they've misrepresented him. By the way, you want to tick God off? Try to tell him who he is instead of who he's told you he is. Try, you want to tick God off? You want to bring that... Go and try to tell everybody, well, this is who God is, and you're not representing Him from here. And, and, and why does God, why would God become so angry with that? Why would God become so angry with that? Just to let you know, why would God become so angry with that? Okay? We're not talking about ignorance, okay? We can all make mistakes. That's why we repent. We're talking about that all of a sudden we don't like the way God is, so we're going to create Him in our own image. Let me share with you. The only way people find salvation is if they understand God, who He is. And if you misrepresent God, you send a whole bunch of people to hell and to damnation and to destruction because you've created God in your own image that brings them no help and no salvation. This is why God, because He is holy. But Job, even in the midst of this, though he's not received what his friends have said, Job still has his own moments. Kind of his own kind of moments where he's like going, yeah. where we sometimes look at it and we say, God, you, sh you should have never done that. You, you should have never, why? You should have never, ever done that. Who are we to tell God who's made us what He can and He can't do? And two, we are very thankful and blessed that the God that we know loves His creation and loves His people and His intentions are far above ours. And He tells Job this, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, this is 38, 1-11, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, sarcasm, or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut the sea with the doors when it burst out from the womb. When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. And prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed so at the proper time that he may exalt you. See? God was telling Job, you have no clue what I'm doing right now. Zero. You have no clue what I'm doing. And I love you, and I need you to trust me. See, here's what we find out about Job that's, that's interesting and blessing. Even though I still have my own questions, and I'm thankful that I can ask those freely of God, I trust Him. I don't fully get it, and I understand. But here's what's amazing. You know what I realized from the book of Job? I better not love God just because He gives me stuff. I want to have a deeper love for my God. I want to have a deeper love for God that even in the midst of suffering, and I don't understand what's going on, I want to give Him praise because He's worthy of praise. And if it's only based on what I get or how I feel, then what type of God is that? And what's my relationship with Him? I'm only going to follow you if you bless me. That's a horrible way of looking at things. Because basically, it makes me God. See, the Bible tells us, humble yourselves, 
Humble yourselves. Well, and also this. And also, when we watch God in the midst of Job, we also know this. If God hadn't gone through that with Job, what story would we have to understand? Where would we be asking right now? See, we don't even realize that some of the things that we go through, even right now, speak as we're faithful unto God and has ripple effects all the way through. See, Job's story wasn't just about Job's life. It was for a body of believers that were coming. It had greater impact. And thus, when we don't understand what God's doing, we, first of all, we humble ourselves. I do not control all. I don't know the ways of the Lord. But it also again tells us there, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. You know, the, our biggest problem is this. We say it's not fair and we are going to fix it. Because we want to exalt ourselves. We want to exalt ourselves. We don't want to humble ourselves. Because to humble ourselves and to submit to God means we're going to go through dark and difficult and nasty times. It's going to happen. But I don't want dark and nasty and difficult times. True? So thus, I'm going to exalt myself on my time. And when I try to do that, we miss the fact that it's not us that's called to get glory, it's Him. And on top of that, he cares for us. He's not a sadistic God that just allows us to go. We live in a fallen world that there is suffering all around us. There is no way around it. And people want to sit there and say, well, if God was so strong, He wouldn't have allowed suffering. If we would have been obedient, we wouldn't have had to deal with it. I look at my parents now, and I go back, and I've had to apologize to them several times. They weren't always right, but there are times they were right, and the reason that I ended up dealing with some consequence, or the ripple effects of consequences, is because they didn't have a clue what they were talking about. They didn't know what they were talking about. And so thus, I made a decision. Got a building of consequences dropped on my head. Is that their fault? And did they do something wrong? Well, they should have stopped me. They couldn't have stopped me if they wanted to. On a greater moment, why does suffering exist in this world? It's not because God's not all-powerful. It's because God is all-powerful, He's all-knowing, but He's also a God that says this, if you're going to choose to love me, you've got to come to me of your own choosing. If I make you love me, what type of love is that? Is that love if I make somebody love me? Somebody has to choose to love. God has told us, I'm all-powerful, I'm all-knowing, but in this relationship, it's by faith. You either come to me on my terms and you trust me, or you come to me on your terms. But that's not trust. And thus, we want to exalt ourselves. But he tells us, he says, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, He may exalt you. God's going to exalt us. He is going to lift us up at the proper time, at the right time, not my time, His time. And His time is best for me. We'll get into that a little bit more, but it also tells us this. Casting, how do we also do this? Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. When we humble ourselves, we... We say it's God's will, I don't fully understand. But the other way that we do it is we take anxieties and we cast them upon God. How many got how many got any anxieties today? Anybody got any anxieties today? Anybody got any stressors? Anybody got some frustrations? Anybody got anything going on? I'd say there's just a few. You and I want to take those anxieties and we want to say this. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And by the time it's all said and done, here's what we look like as, as people. 
We are bowed down by the very anxieties that we say that we're going to fix and we're going to figure out that we're going to do it and we are bowed down with everything that's gone on. We are overwhelmed with everything that's gone on. And yet faith, he tells us this. Faith is taking the anxiety and again, it's not. this is just one aspect of the Bible. It's not the only way. There's other verses, so hear me. But I'm giving you another example of what the Bible here is saying, what God is telling us. Another example is taking the anxieties and saying this, they're too big for me, but they're not big for you, and I trust you with them. I am not just going, okay, can you handle this? I'm saying, you got it. I'm throwing it to you because you're big enough. Me, I'm weak. I'm lowly. In you, I am strong. But on my own, I am weak, overwhelmed, and overburdened. And thus, we take those and we cast them to God. It is faith. Anybody have a hard time casting their cares upon the Lord? Am I going to be honest? I struggle with that. I struggle with that. I don't know why I struggle with it, because I'm miserable carrying my own burdens. And I make everybody else miserable while I'm carrying my burdens. Have you ever thought about that? That's just a side note, don't they? And I'm going to go down there anyway, so there. It's interesting that God loves us enough to tell us to cast our burdens because He loves us, and not only do we mess up with the relationship with God by not casting to Him, but we make everybody else miserable around us. Right? You ever try to carry a burden? How was that when you were dealing with everybody? It ain't pretty. Again, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Church, again... It reminds us over and over of how much God loves us. Listen to Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and that's not in a positive way. If you're going to say, I've got it, he's going to go, fine, you got it. You want to exalt yourself? You want to be the hero? Fine. You might get one. You may get two. At the very end, when you face it, you, you might even be the greatest person to ever walk on this earth. Have all that, get it all figured out and everything that way. And here's the very end. God will say this. On the day of reckoning, God will look at you and say, away from me. I never knew you. You made it about you. You were going to get all the glory. I'm going to get all the glory. I am going to get all the glory. He reminds us, if we are going to exalt ourselves, you will be humbled. But if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. This is what Jesus teaches in Matthew. And that's a very difficult thing because we all want to exalt ourselves. Even as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we struggle with this. But we are called to repent and be humble. We cast our cares upon God because He cares for us. We go on to this, to the next one. The next temptation is this. We, in the midst of the suffering, we are distracted and let Satan work. We are distracted and let Satan work. When we carry these different burdens, we are distracted and let Satan work. That is the temptation. But here's how we keep our eyes on the Lord. It says, Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Again, suffering, Peter's talking to the church, suffering is existing around the church. Be humble, cast your cares, be sober-minded, be watchful. With all the noise that goes around in the midst of everything, 
with all the noise that goes around, with all the noise that was going on with the first century church, we can become drunk on all the problems and so consumed by all the problems that we end up doing things that don't look like Christ or act like Christ or live like Christ. Even though we promote it's all about Jesus. When we throw our, and cast our cares upon the Lord, it begins to make us think about things. I read through all of 1 Peter. I would encourage you all, if you, in your study time, it's actually really, I mean, they're all good to read. I'm just saying, 1 Peter, I've read through that a couple times this week. And thinking about what the early church was going through, and here Peter continually is reminding them, you know what? In the midst of being persecuted for the faith, still live a life that looks like Christ. Why? Because Christ is still on the throne, and we are saying that we trust Him. When pressure is put on us, individually, when pressure is put on you, what do you look like? What do you look like? When pressure is put on you, does more of Christ come out or does more of you come out? Do the characteristics of Christ come out? Or do the characteristics of you come out? When pressure is on, and that's the reason why I, read, I was reading through 1 Peter, and convicted, convicted of reading through there, I'm concerned about our world right now, and I'm concerned about the church functioning in the world. I don't understand it all right now. I don't fully know what it is or how to answer the question. Maybe even what the question is. But I know this. The church should be the loudest voice of hope and joy and compassion and salvation. Amen. The loudest voice of the gospel. It should be the loudest voice right now in ministering to the sick, in dealing with those that have injustice against them, we should be the loudest voice. And not one that screams, but one that proclaims that He is God. And I have concerns about that. Because I don't know if that's the voice that's being heard right now in the world by the church. It's amazing that the church flourished no matter what was going on at the time when they kept their eyes upon God. You could have a Roman emperor burning people at the stake and the church would flourish. You could have governments collapse and the church flourished. You can have good leaders that weren't Christian but that would represent the church and the church would flourish. It didn't matter what the circumstances were. If the church kept its eyes on the gospel and living that out, the church would flourish. Do you know when the church always went wrong? The church always went wrong 
is when it started to proclaim Jesus with their lips, but would live sinful lives. Or it would retreat and be fearful. But the church always, always, always flourished when it proclaimed the gospel and lived godly lives. Every single time. Every time. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Church, the enemy, I guarantee you, is trying to get us distracted right now on things that are secondary and not primary. The enemy is trying to get us focused on things that are secondary and not primary. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Pay attention. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The idea of devour is swallow whole. It's not even a chewing. It's not even a, it's a swallowing whole. But the Greek word in there is a swallow whole. We will either give no attention to Satan and just kind of brush him off and never bring him up, or we will give too much attention to Satan and focus all on him. The Bible tells us this. He's real. He's seeking for someone to devour. But here's what it says. Resist him firm in your faith. Resist him. You flee from sin, not from Satan. If there's sin, flee! If it's Satan, resist. We're not demon hunters. We don't go looking for demons. We don't go picking a fight. But if the demonic shows up, we resist. We stand firm in the faith. Death, burial, and resurrection. And by faith, we live out lives of holiness. This is what we look at. Resist Him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now I find it interesting that He says this. But again, I think it goes back to the humbling of selves. He brings in this idea of the spiritual warfare. But then He says, you're not unique. You're not special as in this is the only thing happening to you. It's happening to every Christian. Every Christian is being assaulted by the enemy. And we should take great hope in knowing this. I'm not the only one. How many of you all, if you've read through Job, you've been encouraged? You might have been encouraged by reading through Job? What's it like to know that there are believers right now that they are gathered in the dark in homes or in abandoned buildings and they are worshiping or have already worshipped there were Christians this morning that got up, went into homes that were dark, had to sing quietly, had to stay in the dark, had to go to abandoned places, knowing that if they were found out, some of them would be beaten and released, some would be captured and jailed, some would be tortured and killed all because of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to say it again. There's a lot of questions that we're asking about this right now. Okay? I get that. We need to seek God's understanding of, of how to do all this. Nobody wants to wear this. I don't want to wear this. But I'm going to share with you right now. And the reality for the moment, where we're at, this is nothing. I'm not being arrested or beaten or anything else for my faith right now. Nothing. 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 This is a minor inconvenience that fogs up my glasses and makes me try to figure out how to breathe as I'm saying. That's what it does. It's an annoyance and a frustration. And there's questions. But today... I'm able to come here and sing openly and freely with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I'm not saying that's the answer. I'm not saying this is how we go forward. I'm not saying any of those things. Don't read into anything that I'm saying other than this. If we don't watch it, we make it about us instead of about Him. We make it about where we're struggling instead of about how does God get glory. Have you ever thought that maybe God is allowing us to go through a difficult time like this? Because who knows, maybe persecution is coming and it's going to be a lot worse than we could have ever imagined. We're going to wish we could have worn masks. We're going to wish we could have gone to the open. I'm not saying that's what God said. I don't know. I'm just telling you, we don't know God's plans. We don't know what He's doing. The only thing we have control of is our attitude towards God and saying, I trust you. And thus, I worship. Thus, I come before you. We get distracted by what Satan is trying to do, which is steal, kill, and destroy. How he's doing that, I don't know. I just know he's doing it. And I know there's other believers that have gone before me. I know there's other believers living in this time period now. And I'm thankful that I'm not the only one. And here's the thing. We're not even being persecuted for our faith. We're just trying to figure out how to deal with this pandemic. No, we're not even being persecuted for Jesus Christ right now. Now, there may be some in California that are. Maybe, that, maybe there's a persecution going on there. I don't know. But I'm telling you this. Right now, we're not persecuted for walking into this church right now. At all. And we need to take advantage of that. It goes on to tell us this. As we resist the enemy, resist him, Resist Him. The armor of God. Go back and read Ephesians 6 this week. Resist Him. You have an enemy that's trying to swallow you whole. As a believer, he can't take my soul if I'm in Christ. I'm telling you, he will do everything he can to destroy our witness, to destroy our lives, to destroy our testimony. And thus we resist and stand firm. And we go to this last one. The temptation, forget God's grace in suffering. Verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The temptation is forget God's grace in suffering. Forget God's grace in suffering. I said this at the very beginning. You and I, when we go through difficulty, and it should be difficulty first and foremost because we won't stand away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should be the ultimate reason why we're suffering. According to what Peter's talking here for the churches. But even in the midst of other suffering, as long as it's not for our sinful, if we're sinful behavior, you're suffering because you're disobedient to God. And that's not something... Bible's already told us that. Don't suffer because of that. There's nothing godly in that or good about that. But when we suffer in this world, first and foremost, do people is the enemy coming after us because of our faith in Christ? And two, do people come at us because of our faith in Christ? The other side of it is this. We live in a fallen world and there's suffering that's around us. But the temptation is to forget God's grace in suffering. Listen to what John 15, 20 says. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. They will also keep yours. Jesus promised us that we are going to suffer. Man, of all the promises He could make, He didn't have to make that one, right? But He did. You will suffer if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will suffer. You will suffer. It's a guarantee. Sean, you're not going to get many people to come to Jesus because they're not going to believe they're going to get suffered. Guess what? If you're going to only come to Jesus because you're going to get blessed, then you probably don't really... Have, it goes back to Job. If you're only going to follow God because He blesses you, you don't have a relationship with God. You, you, you don't even know who God is. You don't know who God is. And you don't want to know who God is. I'm being that blunt with you this morning. Because I love you and God loves you. You cannot just love God because He gives you stuff and, and does all this. You have to love God because of who He is. He cares for you. But it's not the way you want to be exalted. It's the way He is going to be exalted. You are going to suffer. Jesus promises it. Matthew 10, 38 and 39. And whoever does not... Oh, 
And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We always want to take this and make it a metaphor. I'm bearing my cross because I got this hard and I'm just, oh, it's just a burden and I'm carrying my cross. Jesus was being literal. When you picked up the cross beam of the cross, you were going to your death. There was no metaphor. It was right there. But we've gotten away because we don't see that anymore. We don't think about that. We don't think about, we don't think about well, I don't have to carry a cross. And so we turned it into a metaphor to make it application. Jesus already gave us the application. You are dying to follow Christ. Your life is no longer your own. It is His. And thus, you are making a journey of walking with God towards no longer protecting your life, but glorifying His. And when I mean protecting, I mean this. If I need to stand for Jesus, Jesus, the Gospel, and I may lose a job, or I may lose other things, or God forbid, no, not God forbid, if God gave the opportunity to be in a place where I had to either choose Jesus or die, I should always stand for Christ. I don't know if we're ready to lose things for Christ. I honestly don't. I don't know if we're ready to, to lose things in order to follow Christ. Because we just want to be blessed. I know God can bless. He does. I'm just going to tell you, that's not His only job. That's not even His job. That's His grace. But His grace is also telling us this. This is not my home. This is not my home. And if anything that goes on in this moment is to make sure that people know the Gospel and they know Jesus Christ. Here's how we keep our eyes on the Lord. The God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The God of all grace. God is going to take care of you and everything that you need in order to follow Him. He has not said, come and die for me and you're on your own. He's saying, come and follow me to die and I will give you the strength to do it. That which you think you lost, I will restore ten times. A hundred times. More than you'll ever realize as you come follow me. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 1 Peter 4, 1-2 to remind us the previous chapter to this one. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Have the same mindset that Jesus had in going to the cross. Jesus, perform a miracle. Show us a miracle. Show us this. Show us that. I'm not showing you all anything. I've already told you and revealed. But you don't want it. So guess what? I want to show you one other thing. The sign of Jonah. Three days later, he'd be raised from the grave. Jesus armed himself that I am going to suffer and glory be to the Father. He prayed in the garden that he didn't want it, but he also said, not my will, but yours. Pray for strength. And guess what? It says that an angel came to strengthen him, did it not? To do what he didn't physically, emotionally want to do, but in faith, all praise be unto the Lord. All one praise be unto the Father. Whatever you want. Think about this. What does it mean? What does it mean in this moment when He says that He will... Oh, where is it? Christ Himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What does that mean? 
Well, to Job, we can look at that example. Job had lost family, wealth, health. Think of all of it. And God gave it all back to him. Did He not? He gave it all back to him. That's not what He did for Stephen. For Stephen, He stood amongst the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He proclaimed the Gospel message. He compassionately pointed out their sin. And they stopped their ears and ran at Him. Took Him outside, full of rage, not wanting to listen to the very Gospel that would set them free. Laid their cloaks at Saul, picked up stones, hurled them one after the other. What's it like to be stoned? What's it like to have, I don't know what happened to him, I've only seen things, to have a huge rock come at your head and smack you, to have it gouge into your body, to have it come over and over and it's not going to stop. And you're not going to die quick, and you're not going to die in your sleep, you're going to die a painful death with people that call you a blasphemer. And there's not anyone that's there on your side. And yet we look at Stephen in that moment. Stephen was restored and strengthened because it says in that moment that as he was being stoned, he was able to see Jesus. And he was able to look and tell his Lord, Father, do not hold this sin against them. Jesus face to face that said, Well done, my son. Well done. You finished the race. You got the reward. See, restoring, strengthening. God can do it like Job. He can also do it like Stephen. And He's reminding us that we don't get to choose it all the time. He is telling us that it's not about us figuring it's exalting Him. This is a tough message. Because as soon as I say it, I think about it. <laughs> Do I really want to exalt Jesus? If it means that I'm going to lose things? Do I really want to exalt Jesus if it means that I may lose people, that I may lose my life, that I may lose my stuff. I know what my flesh and my emotions say, but I know the God who lives inside of me says this, but that's what I want to chase towards. That's where the race that I want suffering, what looks like Christ when you're pressed and what doesn't look like Christ when you're pressed? Have you gotten distracted by all the noise? Or are you focused on Christ? Do you claim the cross resurrection and treat your family horribly? Do you claim Jesus Christ is risen? And thus at work, nobody would know? Do you claim that you follow Christ? And yet, your life, you know that you choose to live in sin that God has called you away from, and yet somehow you just say, but I've received Christ, so I just say I'm sorry, and I keep doing the same thing. 
Church, that is not of God. That is not in the Scriptures. And I want to remind you time and time again, He came into us to transform us, not to live the same, but to be born again into a new relationship, to live and look like Him. And all He's calling us to do is to humble ourselves and come before Him and say, Lord, not my will, Yours. I come before You. I repent, Lord. My life is Yours. Do as You see fit. Do you know Jesus Christ today? Are you following Him? Does that seem, do people look at you and say, that is a follower of Christ? Let's pray. Father, as we come before You, God, there are so many ways that I have failed You. And there are so many ways, Lord, that I know that I have not looked like You in moments. But Father, what I am thankful for is I know that You have come before us, Lord God, to continue to teach us what it means to trust You. What it means to die to self and to live for You. Father, what it means that You are lifted up. Lord, I pray today that as we come before You, Lord, that the first and foremost is that anybody that does not know You, Lord, that today they would be convicted of their sin, recognize they have sinned against a holy God, Lord God, that they will be judged. They will be judged for every thought and action and attitude that they have had. And Lord God, that you will just fairly, you, you will judge fairly. You don't give any bias to anybody. You are fair. But Lord, they would recognize that they would stand before you Lord, eternal damnation is what they will have to deal with because, God, they're not perfect. But, Lord, if they are convicted, they would recognize of Your great love, especially of seeing that in Jesus Christ, paying for their sin. Lord, that today that they would receive You as Lord and Savior, they would repent of their ways and recognize the God that loves them. And, Lord, that You would give them a new life. Lord, I pray for us as believers, God, you show each one of us individually how we humble ourselves and come before You. Lord, I don't know how You want to humble me. I don't know how You want to humble everybody else. But Lord, I pray. It won't all look the same, but God, I pray that as You speak to us, we will be humble and allow You to do what You need to do. Not that we would exalt ourselves, but Lord God, that You would be exalted. And Lord, that the world would see You. God, we desperately need You. We love you and we praise you. It's in the name of Jesus and all God's people said.